Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mario's Minute. In case you do not know, this is a podcast I do here monthly in two different forms. First of all, I do it as a YouTube upload where there's not all too much going on, honestly. It's on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, and it's just a picture of my channel art and such with a cool-looking visualizer laid over top of it. At least I think it's a cool-looking visualizer. And it's also available like an actual podcast because, first and foremost, this is a podcast. Simply look up Mario's Minute on your favorite podcasting app or platform or provider, and you should hopefully be able to find it. Now, Mario's Minute is not available on all places, but it's available on most of them, at least. But in case you do not know, this is the second podcast I do here every month. My main podcast is Mod Chat, in which I kind of just round up some interesting topics in the world of modding that I think are worth talking about, covering, and show them to you all, and sometimes we even do some show and tell. But Mario's Minute is the podcast where I talk about whatever the hell I want to, and sometimes I bring on whoever the hell I want to. Uh, I try and alternate it every other month, so I'll have a guest month and then a solo month. Now, last month I had a uh, column Dram, I believe that's their username. I call him Colin, just by his actual name, and that was a fun episode. And this month we're going to be going solo here, so I have a few things that we're going to be talking about. It's going to be pretty much all gaming related from what I'm seeing on here. Uh, but first of all, I actually want to do a bit of a shout out. Now, it's a little bit funny because originally, a uh, big shout out to Durf or Durf Jagged, who actually reached out to me a couple months ago and was asking me to shout this out here on Mario's Minute. And he's like, hey, you know, I could even kind of promote your stuff on an article or whatever. And I said, you know what, man, I got to decline. I can't promote you on Mario's Minute because I should really be promoting you on Mod Chat. It's going to be more centric there based on the actual listeners that you're looking for. It's going to be more on topic and it's going to get more views and listens, which he he pretty much said you had me in the first half, not going to lie, but he did appreciate it. But you know what? I'm doing it on here as well, too, because I do like the... I like the whole message behind this, right? I, I like this. I really do want to see this grow. And what I'm talking about here is console mods. I just kind of want to give them a shout out. It's consolemods.org, one word, consolemods.org. And if you do not know what this site is, if you're familiar with Reddit at all and you're familiar with any of the game console modding subreddits, such as 360 Hacks, um, I, th I think... Does the original Xbox have one? I don't remember, but pretty much 360 hacks, uh, PS3 hacks, PS4 hacks, any of those console hacks subreddits. Uh, Derf Jagged is usually responsible for creating those or at least moderating them. And he also worked on a lot of wikis for them as well, too, where I have linked these wikis in several of my videos. And they are good written guides. So, for example, I mean, I'm just even on the site, like if you're on... 360 hacks you can go over to the wiki and you could see you know hey if you want to modify your system with a drive flashing or a rgh exploit you can click on one of those click on the methods there all that fun stuff and it's really well documented i like it quite a bit now what derf has been doing along with several others in the community is he has been working on getting console mods up and running as a good wiki and really just porting the information over from these reddit wikis over to console mods so they're is a centralized site 
it for everything. And since it's a wiki, people can contribute. And that's really the thing that he's looking for, which is why he was kind of wanting a shout out on here as well, too. Having the information there is great, but getting the information there is also important as well, too, and sharing it out. And if you have anything that you are interested in, you know about, you want to contribute, you can absolutely sign up on there and start editing. You can pick your console, pick what modifications you want to cover, what you want to edit. And I'm sure, honestly, even if you, even if there's not too much that you know, if you're on the wiki and you're checking out something and you notice that there's a typo on there, even just little edits like that can absolutely help out. So things big and small can always be helpful. But yeah, that is it. ConsoleMods.org. I really like what they're doing. Shout out to Durf and the team over there. And yet again, if there is anything that you're interested in that you think you could improve on there that you want to add on that you want to clarify they are always looking for editors and contributions because helping them out is really just helping the community out overall <clears throat> excuse me now uh speaking on gaming and such as well too not necessarily with modding but i guess we're going to be getting into that i did want to talk about some news that ended up breaking here uh on april 27th uh, actually, no, uh, this was it more started blowing up on April 27th. But either way, this week here, uh, I guess a couple of days prior from the damn recording this, which is the 27th, uh, there is a Twitter user by the name of some cron. <laughs> Some Kronza guy, that's it. Uh, Garrett Fredley is his name, and he stated, Today is my first day as a senior build engineer at PlayStation, working as one of their initial hires for the newly created preservation team. Game preservation was my first career passion, so I'm ecstatic that I get to go back to those roots. And that is absolutely fantastic and awesome to see. And yes, Sony is building a game preservation team, and I want to talk about this a little bit. Uh, first of all, I am going to say this is good news, and I do applaud Sony for this. Uh, what I'm saying here is really not going to be criticism, and it might even be some things that are unpopular to say, dare I even say. Uh, but I do kind of want to clarify this for end users. Uh, just because I believe that there are people who are taking this in the wrong direction. And again, that's not to necessarily demean the work of the team here that they're going to put in or poo-poo anything that this means here. Uh, this is more just kind of clarifying it for us as people outside of Sony. So, when it comes down to this here, first of all, I think this is great. I think game preservation is necessary. I think it is awesome to see that really in the last 5, 10 years, we've seen companies that have cared a lot more about it. Uh, I know, of course, having the final game image or game ROM out there and having it preserved uh, is always well and good. But there's countless games that you can name where I know pretty much in the 90s, game preservation didn't really, it wasn't a thing at all in regards to, you know, saving source code and such. So I know that there are several games where it's just, you can't go back to that source code. Um, I don't remember if this, I, I want to say Final Fantasy VIII that's pretty much gone because the drives and everything that they had source code on were just reused. Nothing was really backed up. Uh, I know Panzer Dragoon Saga, that's another one. So even there's been games where if the source code can't get pulled out, then 
the games end up getting reverse engineered in re-releases and remakes and remasters. Not necessarily remakes, but remasters is what I'm talking about. Um, but even so, then the thing is with source code, I, I had heard this recently on, I don't remember the podcast's name, um, but I, I know... I think it was the uh, the Video Game Foundation worked on this, and MVG was a guest on there. And kind of the magic thing to this is a lot of people will also kind of equate having the source code to game preservation, which is not necessarily bad, but then you kind of get into the bigger picture of, from a development standpoint, what is source code? And you might just say, oh, it's just all the files, that like all the written text files that are in whatever language you wrote, and as long as you can compile them, that's fine. And that's all well and good, but some of this source code is so old on such specific configurations with software and hardware that you'll have a really hard time getting anything to config like to compile modern day. Uh, even so, at that point, um, having just all the text-based source code is awesome, but what about any assets that go alongside it? So are we including assets in source code? Are we going to include, you know, audio in source code, which I guess would be assets on there? Are we going to include any type of art with that as well, too? Um, like having working art and such is going to be important. So having a lot of that there, it kind of just falls under game preservation, where it's a lot further than, hey, we have the ISO of this game or the ROM dump of this game uh, and we can play it. it it goes a lot further than that but even so if you just say oh well we just want the source code it's like well you, if you're properly preserving everything you're going to want more than only the written source code <laughs> so that's what I'm hoping the game preservation team here will work on and actually what came to mind for me even thinking about it is I'm thinking they would probably be tasked with hey if they're able to let's say the the games medieval one and two games that only released on the playstation uh now sony does have access to the isos for them and they have the rights and everything or at least the company is involved because there's been a remaster there's been a remake uh, the games have been re-released for digital purchase a few times through PS1 emulation. Uh, the original Medieval game currently is the only PS1 game that is legitimately emulated on the PlayStation 4. Uh, if you beat the PS4 version of Medieval, you unlock the PS1 version of Medieval, which is played through emulation on the PS4 game itself. So that's pretty cool. Um, but even when it comes down to it, does Sony have access to the full source code for it? What about any type of promotional material? What about any type of advertisements, which would, which would still be under promotional material? I'm even thinking of like working files related to the cover art, the manual, the um, even the disc art and such, just anything in regards to that leading up to the release of that final ISO for well, that master, I guess master image, you could say, for Medieval 1 and 2. If they can work on getting all of that preserved properly and archived, that would be amazing to see. But that also kind of gets into another thing where I, I feel like a lot of people also equate, how do I say, they equate preservation to accessibility and I guess this is kind of where we get into probably what is the 
unpopular opinion here of what I will say is that we have to remind ourselves that preservation is not equal to accessibility. Uh, just like accessibility is not equal to preservation uh, in regards to that, like, let's say, I don't know, let's say we end up taking a game like Medieval, for example, and it might not be a proper rip of the game, but it's something that is at least playable on there. Or there's even, yeah, I, I guess you could even say this, like, one example I'm thinking of, how about this? Um goldeneye 007 hd now that game ended up leaking out was it a couple years ago no no it was it was over a year ago end up leaking out to the public now that is a game that is it's accessible to people who want to emulate it to people who have a modified xbox 360 which is awesome but is it properly preserved? That's kind of where it's a bit questionable because I believe the original like default XEX file, which is the executable, I'm not 100% sure if the untouched one is out there. Uh, there is a modified one that is out there that adds in some extra features and fixes and such. So even though it is accessible, playable, and even enhanced, you can say, which I agree with that, is it properly preserved? Um, to me, I would still want the untouched files as well, too. So that's where accessibility might not equal preservation. Uh, however, in this instance with Sony and their game preservation team, I have no doubt there's going to be a lot that's going to be preserved. But I also have a feeling there's not going to be that much that we're going to see publicly come from this. If we see some things that are shared, such as, I don't know, old promotional material, old artwork, um, other working designs that is shared publicly, just kind of a, hey, look at this really cool thing that Sony was doing in 1997. I think that's awesome. Whatever they want to share is great. However, what I want to steer people away from is this does not mean that in a year we're going to have full ps1 library emulation full ps2 emulation full native ps3 emulation on the ps5 this is not what that means there are games that are accessible through preservation publicly as well too like we can see on the Xbox side of things with the original Xbox and Xbox 360 games working up to the Xbox Series X, that's great. However, there are, I believe it's even been said for the backwards compatibility program overall, there's not going to be any more games that are added. And I know people have even said before, like in comments of my videos with, uh, why would you want to get a original Xbox or an Xbox 360 uh, when you can just play those games on the Series X? And to that I've said, well, if you're looking to emulate them, uh, you're never going to emulate the full libraries. That That's not going to happen for the Xbox One or the Xbox Series consoles. Uh, if you want to get a good amount of the library, you can do that on the 360 for the original Xbox, but there's a lot of games that don't work and that are going to have issues so if you're wanting to play these games the best place to play original xbox games uh, i guess accurately and with the best compatibility is on an original xbox uh, and the same thing goes for 360 games on the xbox 360 uh, just because you're not going to have these same levels of accuracy or compatibility on other platforms whether that is a 
whether that's a technical issue or a legal issue or a combination of both. And when it came to the official releases that we see on the Xbox One and Xbox Series, I guess that's not even so much a legal issue. I guess you can get into that there, but it's more of a licensing issue there. Like, College Hoops 2K3, that game, just because of licensing and such, that game is never going to be accessible on the Xbox One or the Xbox Series in any official capacity. So if you're wanting to play that game, you're going to have to play it on the original Xbox. And I'm pretty sure it came out on the original Xbox. But either way, in regards to game preservation here, it's a lot like a museum. And that's what I'm expecting this would be. Now, if museums are able to share things and show things to the public, that is absolutely awesome. But there's a lot of work that museums do that is also never going to be public facing but it is really important behind the scenes and it can help out in other ways as well too i guess i've kind of thought of this as a mummy and i've thought of it like this for years where a museum can have access to a mummy they can document this body they can preserve it properly they can learn quite a bit and it can help with other things and they can present it to the public in a safe fashion but you might be able to go see this mummy, but you're not allowed to touch it. You're not going to be able to interact with it. You can't take it home with you, but it is still preserved. It might not be accessible to the point that you want it, and it might not even be accessible at all to the public, but it is preserved. And that's kind of what I'm expecting here. I even think of this because of an example with Nintendo. And I've said that we have seen this with the GigaLeaks, that as, as difficult as it is to side with Nintendo on this, because Nintendo is one of the worst when it comes to making their older retro catalog properly accessible and giving us proper backwards compatibility, uh, there's a lot of games that you cannot easily pick up, purchase, play on the Switch, for example. And they're just locked to certain platforms, so you cannot legally pick up these games to play in a modern fashion, unless you are going to pick up, you know, a old cartridge of it or something on the third on a, on the used market. Which again, that's still going with a retro side of it. It's not like I can't. I, I'm trying to think of just I don't know random example on here, like on the Switch. I cannot pick up my Switch go to the eShop and pay $10 for F-Zero for N64 uh, or even the GameCube F-Zero. I cannot do that. Uh, in order for me to pick up F-Zero if I want to play it on GameCube for this example, if I want to legally do this, I would have to go and purchase a used copy of it on the GameCube. Uh, I don't think it was ever digitally released outside of that. I really don't think so. So that's a lot of the issues that you run into with Nintendo on that. Even, I know, Sony, for example, they've been better about that accessibility where the PlayStation 3 can play PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 games, but if you want to play those games, if you want to pick up games even digitally, which you still can to this day in 2022, you have to pick up a console that was made in 2006 that you can also argue is rapidly losing uh, official support because Sony has already tried to shut off purchases once and even though they have stopped for now don't think that this is the end of the road here 
what I'm saying here in regards to Nintendo is that Nintendo, based on things that we've seen with GigaLeaks, is incredibly, surprisingly good at preserving their archives. Uh, I, I now I personally, and this is me telling the truth here. I I don't have contents of the GigaLeaks. I've more just kind of seen what was out there and seen what people had shared through their findings, which I thought were really cool. But one example I'm thinking of is there was a Game Boy lot check where it was pretty much just a archive Nintendo had of every single North American Game Boy ROM that was released. And there were several ROMs in there of full Game Boy games that were never released. Uh, At least one or two of them were full English localizations of Japanese games. I think one of them people didn't even know existed, like as an official localization. So that was really cool. And that is really old stuff right there. So to me, that's incredibly impressive that Nintendo has that on hand. I think with the development of either Star Fox 1 or 2, there were a lot of internal emails. There were a lot of internal communications, internal testing and development tools that were all archived. So from a game preservation and game development standpoint, from what I've seen, Nintendo does a really good job of it. Preserving, but not accessibility. When it comes to public consumption and accessibility of their old catalog, they're they're lacking quite a bit on that. But to say Nintendo is not preserving this, that's not true. And that's even something that we would not know had it not been for GigaLeak. But again, we're kind of treating this like a museum right there. There's a lot of work they were doing on the back end. There was a lot of things they were saving, documenting, preserving, that evidently the public was not supposed to see, but we ended up seeing. So that's kind of what I mean by here, yet again as well too, is that preservation is not going to be equal to accessibility. Now preservation can equal accessibility, but on the flip side, accessibility is not going to be equal to preservation, even though they could be the same thing. So I I guess I'm more just saying, this is awesome, I'm supportive of it, this is great, but at the same time, this is not the same thing as what a lot of people are thinking of. And if you don't hear much from this team here in the next few years publicly, I wouldn't be all too surprised on that. But just let them do their thing, and I hope that they do a good job. And I guess my last thing on this as well, too, is that I know... Here we go. Actually, I'm looking at an Engadget article in regards to this. Um, it's nice that they have this team and they're caring more about this now, especially with the pushback that we've seen. Like, it is mentioned on here, and I have covered this before, that, you know, the older storefronts were being taken down where they were still going to be up and accessible but you could not purchase any new games and there was such public backlash from that that sony decided to for the time being back down and not close off the vita and ps3 digital storefronts that wasn't necessarily a good look it was it it was a good look that they decided to back off but not necessarily a good look that they tried to do it so quickly and all at once however it's looking here, I'm even going to quote this. They state here, in a 2017 interview, Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan talked about seeing Gran Turismo titles on PS1, PS2, PS3, and PS4 at an event, and said something that dogged him ever since. Quote, The PS1 and PS and the PS2 games, they looked ancient. Like, why would anybody play this? Unquote. And I mention that because that quote has been used several times, but... 
it didn't look good for several years in terms of preservation when you had the CEO saying something like that. So for that much of a turnaround from their CEO to be making a comment like that to now having, you know, five years later, a game preservation team, that's worth celebrating, I would say. That's awesome. <laughs> now, speaking of all of this here, kind of in the same vein of everything, this is a little bit uh, disappointing here, but there is going to be a new Sonic, I guess, collection remaster type thing in a way coming out. I haven't looked too much into this release directly, but this is for Sonic Origins. That's going to be coming out, uh, is it June? I think it's going to be coming out June. Yeah, it's going to be coming out June 23rd of this year. However, Sega kind of quickly and quietly put out that they are going to be pulling a vast majority of classic Sonic games from digital storefronts. And I'm looking at a Verge article in regards to this. Now, they're stating that they're going to be delisting the digital versions of Sonic the Hedgehog 1, 2, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, and Sonic CD starting on, well, on, by May 20th. So by the time this podcast releases, if you're listening to this as soon as it comes out, if you want to buy those games individually, you only have about three weeks to do so. And this is more for PC players. Like these games are available on Steam, but it's even noting right here. Um, the games aren't available individually on the PlayStation Store. And the only and only Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Sonic CD are available to purchase separately on Xbox. Uh, however, it looks like Sega is stating that you'll still be able to buy these Sega Ages versions of Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 on the Switch, and it looks like Sonic 2 is playable on the Genesis collection that comes with Nintendo Switch Online. So, that's at least good. However, I... I don't really like seeing this all too much. Uh, it does look like here it is more in regards to payment and such just because the individual games that you can purchase on steam are well individual but even so much cheaper than sonic origins where sonic origins is going to be 40 us dollars i just really wish uh sega has done a lot of good last five to ten years uh, a lot of goodwill they've listened to the community quite a bit and I guess with all of that goodwill that they've put out, it's disappointing to see that they are really just trying to not have the classic Sonic games and Sonic Origins coexist. They just want to completely replace them. Much like we saw what Rockstar Games did with uh, the original Grand Theft Auto 3D trilogy, where at this point right now, you cannot buy digitally Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, and Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. The only ways to really get them, which they're doing this on purpose, is you have to pick up the remaster trilogy. So you cannot pick up those original games there. One nice thing as well, too, with these original Song the Hedgehog releases is that at least on PC, it was a way to, from what I understand, legally get the ROM file. I don't remember what exactly it was called, but I know, for example, if you go and you download uh, Sonic the Hedgehog on Steam, if you go into the program files for that download, it's just a ROM file with a Genesis emulator packed in, and you could just take that ROM file and then you can use it in another emulator if you want to. So it was a really cool way of doing that. I, I enjoyed that as well, too. But it's disappointing to see that more so just because it's like, Sega, 
you all weren't supposed to be the people who are indulging in this, who are delisting your old stuff, all right? <laughs> oh, well, that, that's how it goes sometimes, I guess. I'm just going to grab some water here, but... Oh, boy. So, I did want to talk about uh, some modding a little bit here in regards to a recent video I made which was the last video that I released at the time of releasing this podcast, uh, I ended up tackling Reset Glitch Hack 3, or RGH3. Now, if you do not know, the Xbox 360 is incredibly near and dear to me. It is not the system where I started modding on. However, I do credit it as the system that really got my footing here on YouTube, and it's probably my favorite games console out there. Uh, not handheld, but with like an actual like plug-in games console, I would say the 360 is my favorite. Uh, not only just I, I enjoyed the time that it released, uh, the games, the everything that was really on there, but also I absolutely love the modding scene, and I just drowned in the modding scene, and I did it with a smile on my face. I absolutely loved it. It was a very fun scene to be a part of, and it's still a really awesome scene to be looking into as well, too, because at this point, there's not as much, I guess, monetized competition. Like, it's not Team Executor trying to release a bunch of chips and then a bunch of other companies competing. Really, it's just there is still money that's being made, there uh it's not nearly as much as it would have been you know 10 years ago but a lot of the developments that are done are really more so for the love of the system and the love of the scene and just the interest behind it and there's some really smart people who are on it there's people who have a lot of love who are on it now there's even better software and development and reverse engineering tools that are available today that we didn't have so long ago. So some of the really awesome advancements we're seeing are just absolutely incredible. And that's how it is with RGH3, where this is a method of really modifying your NAND so that you're able to boot up the system with a modified NAND image, really a modified operating system that will allow you to run unsigned code and it will disable a lot of protections and security checks on there so that's really the, the gist of it but you need a method to boot this up and reset glitch hack is what was there before where you would have to install in addition to modifying your NAND you'd have to install a glitch chip You'd have to wire it up a certain way. Uh, getting your wire routing was always a thing. There was different implementations of reset glitch hacks, so different files that you would have to flash to your system. Then the chip itself had to have a timing file flash to it, so depending on systems and models and wiring, uh, you'd have to try out different timings on there to see if your system can even boot to begin with. But then if it did boot up this modified NAND, then... You'd also have, uh, you, you could try different timing files, different wire routing, all that fun stuff, different RGH implementations to improve the boot times. And that doesn't seem like it's as serious, but it's really, if you get everything down, you can have your system boot up in four or five seconds. That is the same as retail. However, some bad implementations are like, I have a, uh, I think it's a reset glitch hack to Corona that's it um but it's it, it, it's funky the point is um it, it it takes i'm not kidding it takes like five minutes to boot up i'm not kidding when i say that 
you're just waiting for this thing to glitch and it takes like five minutes to boot up so one day i just need to go in and redo it i didn't even do the mod myself it was actually uh johnny guns when he was in business and he did a great job of it but it was just even at the time my system and my specific use case, I, I don't think there were timing files that were available for it. And then even the chip might have been a bit different. And even so, everything seemed to work for him. And then when I got it, it was taking like five minutes to boot up. And sometimes it doesn't even boot. So then you have to turn the system off and turn it on again. You're waiting four or five minutes for it to just boot up properly. <laughs> But either way, all of that with the glitch chip and such to get the system booted up into that uh, that state that allows you to run a modified NAND, uh, that was always a little bit of a annoyance, a little bit of a quirk and such, just because if you don't have your wires in the right places or even, you know, routed properly, uh, you could have your system just take a while to boot up. You could have it not boot up at all. You could have it freeze at various points like it just boots up and after 30 seconds it just freezes because of your wire placement so that was always a little bit of a thing to fight there was also so many different chips for different implementations uh there's times when there's i mean clones as well too there's times where there's batches of bad clones out on the market so you could buy chips that are working and then a year later you can buy those same types of chips but they're not really the same and they just don't work properly so then you have to track down some other ones or track down a good batch uh the point is on here rgh3 was pretty mind-blowing because as opposed to using a glitch chip to glitch the system you're really just using the console itself the glitch itself and i believe it's the southbridge that's performing that um but it really just comes down to, as opposed to doing all that with the glitch chip, it's two wires and a resistor. Or if you have a fat console, uh, two wires, a resistor, and a diode. That's all there is. Uh, for the actual mod itself, you still have to hook up the NAND wires, program your NAND, you know, desolder them and such. Uh, but the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I got to try it out here recently with a uh, trinity motherboard now one of my good friends he he's been wanting a modified xbox for a while and i've been telling him yeah you know i'm I, you know i'm your guy i'll be able to help out whenever we get to that but of course i've been talking about it for years we finally got to see each other after like years of not seeing each other and i saw that he had a xbox 360 slim and it was a great deal. Uh, he said he went to a thrift store and he got a 360 Slim. It's a trendy motherboard with a 250 gigabyte hard drive. And I think it had a controller or two. And I think it even had the cables. He got it for 20 bucks. And we had talked about it because I was like, oh, yeah, this will be a good one to mod and such. And we were talking about he still wanted a modded system. And I said to him, I was like, OK, hey, how about this? Um, if you let me, I'll take this home. I'll mod it for you. I'll give it back. The only contingency is you got to let me use it in a video. And for him, it was just, it, it was a no-brainer deal. He's like, oh, pff, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 dude, do, do what you need to. So I was like, I don't, you know, you don't have to do anything for me. I, I don't want payment or anything. I just, you will get a free mod on this system as long as I can use it for a video. And he he was more than happy to sacrifice it for the greater good and, you know, use it as a guinea pig. And he was even just like, dude, if you, if you mess it up, I don't care. I paid 20 bucks for it. I don't care. Um, but either way, I ended up uh, taking it, you know, took a part in everything when I had the time to, got it all modded up. And 
I also got to use in this video and for the install, I got to use my digital microscope for the first time. And this is probably like, I'm saying this with a smile on my face because it's one of those times where I was just truly nerding out over something like a, a new piece of technology that I got. And it was beyond like, you know, a new game system or a game or something else. It, it was a microscope. It was a digital microscope. And I was even practicing with this microscope a bit. I had to, I bought it well over a year ago, but I, I finally took it out of the box. I had, you know, a, it allows recording and all that too. So I was messing around with recording and I was practicing before the RGH. I was practicing just doing, you know, some scraping, some soldering, but trying to use the microscope. And at first, just kind of go back to basics, you know, solder a couple wires together, then try a few things on a dead motherboard or some that you don't mind sacrificing or just even you know touching your soldering iron two points on a motherboard it doesn't have to be on but just touching them to those points and i'll tell you like the point that i was able to to really zoom in on there was so impressive i was beyond impressed with this microscope but even so i was like the first time i was really trying it out i was just like giggling like a schoolgirl because at one point i had i had a board that was on that was under the microscope and i was looking at this through the screen and for the first time i was able to clearly touch and point out pins like on a little tsop chip so if you had this tsop chip and you said okay count to pin 10 i could sit there and touch each pin and be like one two three four like i'm the count but with a soldering iron and this is big to me because, first of all, I don't have perfect vision. Uh, I do have, I wear glasses or contacts depending on the day. Uh, but even so, even when I wear them, you know, my vision's fine. But then when you're dealing with micro, literally microscopic points, there's some things I cannot see. So even with like, you know, just looking at little tiny pins on TSOP chip, it's like, oh boy, I'm going to have to check my work like eight times if I'm just doing this with my uh, with my eyes because I don't, I don't use magnifying glasses. I don't use any like jeweler's glasses or anything. It's really just my own eyesight on there uh, when I'm doing my soldering. So when I had this microscope, it was great. And even so, one thing that I've seen people talk about but I didn't experience until now is that for me, like it's if you've seen some of my videos where I do soldering work, I make no secret of this. Uh, I don't have steady hands. My hands do shake a little bit, and I, I don't mind saying that just because it used to be a lot worse. Now it's not Parkinson's, mind you. It's not to that point, but I've just noticed over over the last few years, really the last probably ten years, uh, my hands have gotten steadier. I, I I can't tell you what. I can't tell you why. Uh, they've just gotten steadier, but they still, you know, they're still not fully steady. Um, but with that, if whenever there's people who, you know, might make fun of it or whatever, for me, I'm just like, well, you know, I don't have steady hands. They shake a little bit, but look at the work that I can do with these hands. And this is work that a lot of people who have incredibly steady hands struggle to do. So I'm damn proud of the fact that, yeah, my hands shake a little bit, but guess what? I can do this little tiny component work here. <laughs> Either way, when it comes down to that, I even noticed that I was a little bit steadier with the microscope because I was able to clearly see everything. Now, was I completely steady? No. But when I have everything blown up right there, it, it really made a difference. 
The big difference though is kind of adjusting how I'm looking at everything because as opposed to looking down at the work itself, I'm handling everything and then I'm kind of looking like directly in front of me, like I'm looking at a monitor screen because that's quite literally what I'm doing. I'm My hands are down below, but I'm looking straight ahead and I'm looking at a monitor. So that does make a bit of difference. And there's sometimes even when I'm working on stuff, I'll have it under the microscope and I still kind of have the habit of looking at the work itself. But if it's something really, really, really small, then I'm looking at the microscope screen, like the monitor that's showing me everything. And that was incredibly important for RGH3 just because uh, there is one point there. It is underneath the X clamp. And in order to get to this point, it is probably the smallest point I've soldered to in regards to the Xbox 360. But on top of that, uh, you have to scrape it away. So you have to scrape the mask a little bit on the board itself. And I can tell you, if I looked at it just with my naked eye and I'm like, yeah, that's going to be a bit of a struggle. I would be a little bit afraid, a little bit intimidated doing this. But when I had the microscope, it's still a little bit of a scary experience, but it's made a lot easier because, you know, I guess it's no secret when you're able to see things, things are a lot like a, a lot more accessible, a lot less scary. There's a big fear of the unknown. And when you can't see things properly or see things fully clearly or fully see what's going on, that's kind of unknown. And that's where some fear can creep in. That's where some nervousness can creep in with the work. So the point is on there with doing RGH3 on that, I, I was very proud of that. And I was happy that I was able to get the work done with the microscope. I know people have asked as well, too, hey, would you recommend doing this, you know, for a, for a first timer? And I have seen people who are novices at soldering do RGH3. I guess my opinion on it is I, I can't really judge what people will say is difficult or not. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to a novice. However, I will say this. Um, I feel like it's harder in a way that that point that you have to scrape away and touch solder to is hidden, incredibly small, and a lot can go wrong there very quickly if you don't see what you're doing and if you're not careful. However, if you can hit that point successfully and tack a wire to it, the rest of the install is easier. Just because the points are bigger, they're more accessible, you don't have to worry about wire routing, you don't have to worry about timing files, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You don't have to worry about getting a good glitch chip, a bad glitch chip. There's a lot less stuff that you have to worry about. So in that regard, it's a lot easier. I would say maybe the meta overall is easier, but there is more of a difficulty spike when it comes to hitting that single point that you have to scrape away. But having that microscope was an absolute game changer, and I cannot speak highly of it enough. <laughs> so I, uh, I don't really, you know, I, I am really not a regular reader of Kotaku, but there was uh, something there that I just saw that I, I was kind of just dying laughing when I saw this. Uh, th this article is called Crusty PlayStation Leads to Bomb Scare at Boston Airport. And I'm just kind of going to read this here, right? Passengers at Boston's Logan International Airport were evacuated from a terminal on Saturday, and the local bomb squad called in after TSA agents found a suspicious item in a Delta passenger's bag that turned out to be a PlayStation. As The Hill reported, agents sounded the alarm after discovering a PlayStation, it's unclear which one specifically, in 
degraded condition. It's not necessarily recognizing the device for what it was. The bomb squad was called in just after 4 p.m. local time, where every passenger from Terminal A was evacuated as a precaution. <laughs> a spokesperson for the Massachusetts State Police told The Hill, the condition of the console caused abnormalities <laughs> in the image produced when it was x-rayed, prompting the screener's concern. During the investigation of the object and secondary sweeps of the area, passengers in Terminal A were evacuated. That statement saying that the condition of the console caused abnormalities in the image produced when it was x-rayed sure does suggest that maybe the TSA agent can be forgiven for not recognizing the console if its condition was so fucked up that it wasn't even x-raying properly. I'm picturing a PS3 with much of its plastic casing smashed and removed, leaving raw heat sinks and boards exposed like T-800's face at the end of a Terminator movie. Now, it, it looks like it was just, we don't know which console, but it was just a PlayStation, a really dirty one. And first of all, I hope whoever brought this there, this is a wake up call to them like, hey, you, you really, you, you literally, you need to clean your shit, okay? You need to clean this. <laughs> but I also kind of wanted to share this. Because it's been a while since I've shared a game store story. And it just kind of reminded me of this, where I didn't see this one firsthand. But there's people who have these really nasty systems. There was one person who, he ended up working there later on. Uh, there was an episode previous that I did work with him. And he was the gentleman I was working with who said that there was a bird in the back. And then he kind of like took a rag and put it over this bird and was able to get the bird outside of the store. Um, it's that same gentleman. But before he worked at the shop, he was a customer there. And even not even here at the game shop I worked at, but a previous game shop that he used to frequent, it was said that he was one of their favorite customers because he was the type of person who would have something and he would trade it in there to get money because he needed cash because he was always kind of strapped for cash. And then he would come right back and buy the same thing. And he did the same thing with us. So, for example, if it was like a game console and he needed some cash, he would go over. He would come over to our store, sell to us. We'd give him, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks cash. He'd use it for whatever he needed. And then when he had the money to re-up, he would come right back and he'd probably buy the exact same console for like 100, 120 bucks, whatever it was. And he even kind of knew, you know, how dumb it was as well too, but he didn't care. Uh, he's a bit of a nihilist where he just doesn't really care about anything. Uh, and also he liked us as well too. So even though he doesn't care about that much, he also, he, he liked us. That, that was polite. Uh, but either way, at one point, his big thing was he he played on the Xbox 360 a lot. Uh, he also did not take very good physical care of himself in regards to hygiene. Uh, so he did have a little bit of a stink to him. Uh, and sometimes it was bad. Uh, sometimes he just wouldn't really bathe himself well. Uh, sometimes he didn't wash his clothes. Sometimes it was both. I think a lot of times it was both. Uh, point is... He had a Xbox 360 that he traded in, 
and I guess this wasn't a new thing, you know, he would trade in his Xbox, he'd pick it back up, all this other stuff, but I think this is like the final time he gave it to us. Now, I was not at the store, and I was not there when this happened, but apparently... He, he had a like an arcade model or a pro model of the Xbox 360, which was the white model, right? Uh, my coworkers, from what I w- was told, were surprised that it was not the Elite system. They thought that he bought, that he had at one point upgraded to the Elite model, which was the black system, because this system was so dirty and filthy that they thought for a bit, that it was the elite model of the I just I just need you all to really zero in and focus on that and just think about how gross that system must have been. In fact, it was so bad when you trade in a system to us to get like, you know, the full credit and everything. You have to trade in the system working uh, with a controller, the power cable and a AV cable. So I'm sure he traded in, you know, the component cables, the power brick and a controller and probably the hard drive as well, too. Now, from what I know, uh, this system, again, it was so dirty that my manager thought that it was the Elite model. He cleaned that thing up real well, so it was able to at least look somewhat white, thankfully. And he told me that the cables, so the, the power supply, like the power brick itself, and the AV cables were so disgusting that he just threw them out. He didn't even salvage them. He didn't try to clean them. He just threw them out. <laughs> So that's what that's the game store story that reminded me of this nasty this nasty PlayStation that Bomb Squad was called into to deal with. These systems exist and if this is happening like look this is not normal. If if you're listening, I'm I'm not trying to shame you. If you're listening and your systems are like this or your environment is like this, I'm really not trying to shame you. But I'm just trying to tell you, this is not normal. <laughs> I I hope that helps to some degree. Anyways, let let's start wrapping up here. So the last thing I typically talk about is what games I'm currently playing. And I'll be honest, this past month I really haven't played all too much. Uh, I think what was the game that I. F- finished here let me see i did finish one game which was mario kart 8 deluxe i count it as finishing it which for me uh i downloaded the new dlc maps that were available there's still a lot more that are coming out but i downloaded the new ones i played those quite a bit and i prided myself on for me finishing this was doing all the cups but i now have three stars on all the cups on mere difficulty so i used to be complete ass at mario kart and on some of the older versions i still am just because i don't play those but i've mostly played mario kart 8 and now i guess mario kart 8 deluxe that's the one that i got decent at uh so i used to be bad at 50 cc uh but then i i started getting better uh i'm at the point now you know i i was able to i'm able to three star 150 cc pretty easily i would say and if i just kind of want to chill i'll play at 100 because to me 50 is a little bit too slow uh however i had never really seriously tried the mirrored courses and i will tell you somebody might just say "Uh, it's the same thing except it's backwards you know a simple flip like that just flipping the map backwards just mirroring it 
makes a huge difference and it makes some of those maps so much harder like again on most on most of those cups i can three star them pretty easy on 150 but on mirror i was yelling quite a bit on some of those so it felt real good when i finally got three stars on all of them on mirrored but that was what it was to me you know i was able to finish it there i'm not going to do the same on 200 because i have kind of a policy where it's like if i'm just kind of playing for fun uh, i'll do you know casually like 50 or 100 uh, if i want to play kind of seriously i'll play on 150 but then anything beyond that really it's like I decided for myself to play a bit seriously on the mirrored courses, but those are still kind of fun to me. But 200, I, 200 cc speed, I refuse to take seriously because I feel like if I take it seriously, I'm just going to ruin the game and the enjoyment for myself. So I'm not trying to get in first. I'm trying, you know, to do well on there, but I'm just more having so much fun playing on 200 and I'm just laughing at how ridiculously fast it is that I'm just like, you know what? I don't really care what place I get. I'm just having fun with it. So that is that's pretty much my my upper echelon of where i'm going to go in terms of difficulty like i will i will stop being a try hard at 200 cc at that point i'm just trying to have fun and i'm just trying to enjoy myself and the day i start playing 200 cc seriously is the day that i i ruin mario kart for myself <laughs> but i'm still playing uh what is it ring fit adventure uh, that is a bit of a butt kicker still. I'm on my third playthrough of it right now. Uh, I also did pick up, uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, which I need to play more of. It's pretty much, I love it. It's pretty much Urbex Kirby and you're a car. <laughs> That's the quickest way for me to describe it. Uh, I also started playing Limbo again as well too. I got it for like maybe three, four bucks on the eShop. So uh, quite literally a dark game that I enjoy quite a bit. And I also picked up and I was playing uh, for the first time Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne. I picked up the HD remaster of it. I was playing it on Switch. And man, that is a really good game. I will say that when it did first come out, it seemed to get a lot of flack, not Nocturne, the original one, but I'm talking about the HD remaster, because it's, it's pretty much, it kind of feels like the bare minimum for remaster, uh, when you're actually playing the game, it looks fine, but it's still like, oh, you can tell it's a PS2 game, and then the cutscenes have not been remastered, They've been upscaled, but it's just you'll go from the game itself to all of a sudden a 480p video that you're watching on YouTube or something. That's what it looks like. And to me, it's funny. My girlfriend knows me well enough that when she found out I was getting it, she's just like, oh, you're going to be laughing at the cutscenes. And I was like, why? She's like, because it's just it's going to be pixelated and like that's that's what you laugh at. And she was right. As soon as those cutscenes hit, I was just like, I was dying laughing. And I'm just like, I asked her, I'm like, how did you know I was going to laugh at that? Like, how did you know that was because I didn't even fully know that about myself. She said, oh, yeah, when we played Mario Party together, like anytime there were, you know, old pixelated screenshots of the original maps, like you were just like giggling and you thought it was hilarious. I'm like, yeah, because it's, it's funny. It's like this this stark difference. You you see like almost like a Pixar level type animation. And then all of a sudden, like a a, a poor low resolution 480i image on screen like to me that juxtaposition especially on a professional like a level piece of software like this is just hilarious to me that's the meta shit that i laugh at <laughs> but either way 
I will say, I'm very happy with it for what I paid, which is 20 bucks. I, I think it, it's an incredible deal at $20. It's a very good game. But when it first came out, the full retail price for it is $50. And I would have been disappointed if I paid 50 bucks for this. Uh, because I will agree that it's not... it. it it's pretty minimal for a HD remaster. Um, if they went in and they redid the cutscenes completely, then I could see more justification for that. But just at the level it's at, it's like, no, this kind of... You know, you could probably get a lot better of an experience taking the PS2 ISO and loading it up into PCSX2. Like, if you're going to be paying 50 bucks for that versus playing it on PCSX2, probably with widescreen hacks, and then I'm sure there's even mods that are going to do more for the videos as well, too. Um, but for 20 bucks for an official release, I'm happy with that. But my stance on it, it's not even any disrespect to the game. It's more to the release of it itself. I feel like I got $20 worth out of it, but I would be feeling a little bit of something if I paid, you know, 40, 50 bucks for it. <laughs> Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all had some fun listening to this, watching this, wherever you are at. And, you know, at the end of these episodes, I typically pick a keyword or a key phrase of some kind. And if you've used if you use this word or phrase in the comment on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. And if you're sitting there like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not on the YouTube upload. I'm just listening to this like a podcast. Like I it's an actual podcast. Yeah, I'm not faulting you on that. But you're not excluded from this conversation. If you want to, when you have time, you can come over to the YouTube upload and use this keyword or key phrase in the comments and I'll know that you've made it to the end. And how about milk? You know what? How about the word milk? If you use the word milk in your comment on the YouTube upload of this, I will know that you've made it to the end. Do you like milk? Do you hate milk? Are you lactose intolerant? Actually, you probably are. And, and like, that's a whole other thing. Like, okay, like regular cow milk, like we're not supposed to be drinking that. Like, I'm not, we're at the end of the podcast here. We're not supposed to be getting into that. But e either way, it's a little late to get into it is what I'm saying. But uh, what kind of milk do you like? I guess use that word in the comment here on the YouTube upload. And I'll know you've made it to the end. That's probably the weirdest word that I've picked for this series. Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mario's Minute. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, leave a like on the upload. If you didn't like it, a dislike is fine as well too. But anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. Until next month.